Do you want to know a secret? Let me tell you a secret. Some may think they know. They may even try to study. They may read books. But until people have kids, they don't know what they're doing. (laughs) I I thought I knew what I was doing. Uh, You may be like me and read a book. You may talk to parents or other uh, mentors, people who have gone before you. You may observe what people do. And if you're like me, maybe you made a plan. You know, I got this. I know exactly what I'm doing. And then you have a child and they basically laugh at you. You don't know what you're doing. But you get better. You improve over time. And so I have a five-year-old now, and so I've gotten, you know, about this much better. Um, so a little bit every year, get a little bit better. And so you think you know what you're doing. And so maybe like me, you've had a, a second child. And so you go, I got this. What they don't tell you is that they're different. And what worked with the first one doesn't work with the second. My name is Kale Corey, and, and we have three kids now. And I don't even know what that might bring. We don't know. Uh, our, our youngest is three months old, and we have no idea what he will be like, what he will bring. But there's a second part of that secret. Parents don't know what they're doing, and, and again, I'm speaking from my experience, so if you disagree, just let it be known that I didn't know what I was doing. And the second part is like that. And 99% of families, parents I've ever met, are trying their best. They're doing all they know how to do to parent their kids. And so maybe you're at dinner, and there's someone crying or making fuss, and where maybe you used to think, like, can't they quiet that kid down? Now you're thinking, bless you. I know, you're, <laughs> you're doing the best you can. Before kids, I, I remember getting on an airplane, being like, good grief, just give me that kid, I'll fix this. <laughs> and now I say a prayer for them, right? And so there are a couple, there are some things that uh, Savannah and I are committed to, ways that we want to raise our kids. And one of those first commitments is we want to raise our kids uh, to have a deep and lasting love of Jesus Christ. And we want them to come to know him. And so because of that commitment, we do a couple of things. Uh, we do, do a couple of things every single day. The first is that we pray together as a family every night. And sometimes this looks like I, like I pray, or sometimes Savannah prays, or even the boys uh, now pray. And sometimes they request that we all pray, which is uh, just that it warms your heart. Let's all pray tonight. Um, who says, no, it's bedtime. We're just going straight to bed. But, but we pray together. And the second thing we do is similar, and we read scripture together. Our kids, um, they have those, the little Bibles everyone, uh, babies tend to get. But we also have big Bibles that have pictures in it. And that's what we read every night. And so they run to their rooms, and they grab their Bibles, and we, and we read them together. Well, a couple of weeks ago... Uh, Jackson couldn't find his Bible. He's two, and it's not unusual for a two-year-old to misplace things. And so, but this is a big book. And so we go and help him look, and we're ter- tearing the house apart looking for his Bible, and we can't find it anywhere. And this happens for two, three, four days. And then we did laundry. <clears throat> and we moved the laundry from the washer to the dryer. And that's not what we have in mind when we say make all things new. Because we have some new clothes. It's also not what we mean when we say being clothed with Christ. That's, that's not it. Somehow the Bible had ended up in there. But today we are ending a series called All Things New. Now we 
confess as people that Jesus changes everything in our life. And one of the things he does is he makes everything new in our life. And it's appropriate time of year. Many of us did New Year's resolutions, maybe, or you set goals for this year, knowing that the, the, the past is gone. The year that was is over. This is a new year. All things can be new. And we know that Jesus makes all things new. And so as part of this series uh, today, Tim gave me the title, You Can't Outgive God. Oh, which is funny because in December he gave me the title, Bring Your Gifts. And in November he let me preach right before Thanksgiving, which is about, you know, offering thanks and giving. And so, I don't know if it's just from Tim or from God, but there's a message that I need to hear clearly about giving. And so, I let you know that to know this is a message for me uh, first and foremost. But I also want to invite you back next week. We're finishing up our All Things New series today. Next week we're going to start a series on First Peter and First Peter is all about how to live, how to have faith in your culture, in this world, how to hold on to Christ. And that is a message for us just as it was then. So we invite you back next week. And today we're going to explore David, which is also what we're going to do at an event that I want to make you aware of. <clears throat> in April we're going to have, instead of our annual men's retreat, we're going to have a men's conference right here in this room. And we want, it's in our bulletin today, all the details are there, but we want all of you men in here to make a plan to join us for that. Uh, no more do you have to travel off and, and share a bed next to someone who snores. Now you stay here and uh, we're going to have be together Friday night and Saturday morning. So we hope that you will make a plan to be there and that you'll start inviting everybody that you know. Invite your neighbors and your coworkers and your friend. We want people to come enjoy that weekend of good food, good friends, good fellowship. So please make a plan to be there this uh, coming April. As I said, we're going to explore David then as well as today. So if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to turn over to 2 Samuel chapter 7. And I remind you, it is baby blessing, so there will be no judgment today. <laughs> Next week. 2 Samuel chapter 7. I want to set the stage for a second before we read here. If you remember back in 1 Samuel... Uh, Samuel had gone to David and they had anointed him as the next king of Israel. But it takes a long time for that to come to fruition. And I don't know about you, but if I ever got one of those moments that we're all still holding out for, that you have a long-lost relative that's going to leave the kingdom to you, right? No one else still has that dream? Um, When someone tells me that, I'm assuming like I'm king today, right? You're going to be the next king of Israel? Let's go. Let's do this today. That wasn't the way it was for David. He had to wait years and years. Similar to Abraham, Abraham was given promises by God, and David, like Abraham, has to wait patiently for the promises of God to be fulfilled. And he goes and he slays the giant, he kills Goliath, and he goes from shepherd uh, to great warrior, and he has to eventually uh, run from Saul. David isn't one to just take God's promise, he's still going to wait for it, so he runs Uh, from the man who has this position who's trying to kill him. And so he goes, he has this whole long story and he finally gets to be king. And in 2 Samuel 7, he is the king, but it's just recently. It's been a whirlwind for David. He was finally crowned king. He went up and he conquers Jerusalem and he establishes his palace there. It's built there. And he brings up the Ark of the Covenant. And finally, the promises that were given to Abraham are finally coming to fruition in David. They have a nation. They have a place now. And so David is finally getting to see that. And he looks around. He's in his palace. And this is what the text says in, first, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1. When King David was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all the surrounding enemies, 
the king summoned Nathan the prophet. Look, David said, I am living in a beautiful cedar palace, but the ark of God is out there in a tent. So David knows why he's sitting where he is. He knows who brought him to this place. It's God. David, if you remember, was a shepherd, and more than that, he was the youngest brother. And his future was not being the king. In fact, it was just having the scraps. He was going to get the leftovers. He was the youngest brother. There was not going to be anything for him until God called him to something else. And he knows it was God that was with him all along the way. And so David knows who got him there. And so he looks around and he is finally in his palace. He's in his place. And he looks down and he sees the tent of God. He sees the tabernacle. Now, ever since leaving Egypt, this is where God has dwelled. God had led them, the Israelites, and they would establish this tent, and the Israelites would camp around it. And God, symbolically and literally, was right where he wanted to be, right in the middle of his people. But now they're trading in temporary dwelling places for permanent ones. The Israelites are trading in tents for homes, and they look around, and God is still in his tent. And so David looks down, and he says, well, we've got to do something about this. He knows that all of his blessings are from God, and so he wants to give back to the Lord. And so he offers to build God a house. And this is how God responds through the prophet Nathan, starting in verse 5. Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord has declared. Are you the one to build a house for me to live in? I have never lived in a house from the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until this very day. I have always moved from one place to another with a tent and a tabernacle as my dwelling. Yet no matter where I've gone with the Israelites, I've never complained to Israel's tribal leaders, the shepherds of my people Israel. I've never asked them, why haven't you built me a beautiful cedar house? Now go and say to my servant David, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I took you from tending sheep in the pasture and selected you to be a leader of my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone. And I have destroyed all your enemies before your eyes. Now I will make your name as famous as anyone who has ever lived on the earth. And I will provide a homeland for my people Israel, planting them in a secure place where they will never be disturbed. Evil nations won't oppress them as they've done in the past, starting from the time I appointed judges to rule my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Furthermore, the Lord declares that he will make a house for you, a dynasty of kings. For when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name, and I will secure his royal throne forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. If he sins, I will correct him and discipline him with the rod like any father would do. But my favor will not be taken from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from your sight." Your house and kingdom will continue before me for all time, and your throne will be secure forever. So David, in response to how he has been blessed, offers to build a house for God. And this is how God responds. In the Hebrew language, they use the exact same word, the word for house. So David essentially says to God, I'll build you a house. And God turns around and says, no, I'll build you a house. And isn't that like how God is? We want to offer to give something and the best we can come up with is small in comparison to what he can do god can outgive us always and that's what david learns here is that you cannot outgive god so david offers to build a structure he offers to build a place 
And God says, I'm going to build you a legacy. I'm going to build you a dynasty. Your kingdom will never end. And we know David's name today in part because of that promise. But what he learns is the lesson that we all should learn. That yes, when we have been given to by God, we should look to be kind of the kind of people who give. But the lesson for us today is that we cannot outgive God. And I've shared this before, but like my family, I am one of three brothers. I have two younger brothers. And because of that, our house was probably like you're assuming it was right now. It was loud. It was fun. It was rough at times. Things broke occasionally. More often than my parents would prefer, I'm sure. And that's just how it was. It was a good time. And, you know, there was always things uh, going on. And I I think back to especially uh, some of the arguments. And they always tended to revolve around food, at least most often. You know, um, his piece is bigger than mine. Um, That piece is better. Why can't I have that? Why do you always make his favorite thing? Uh, What about what I want? And this this was especially true when it came to pizza. Because pizza brings up a lot of arguments. Well, one... Who gets to decide what toppings are on the pizza? Um, because my brothers and I did not always share the same opinion. And then you can easily, you know, there are slices, and so you can start to divide how many pieces are we can, each going to get. But sometimes it doesn't divide perfectly. And sometimes, well, what if I got two pieces, uh, but his piece was bigger still? Um, and so always lots of arguments. And I remember my parents always being, trying to, you know, get us through this moment, and sometimes you know how dinner time can be, let's just get through it, and, but sometimes they would just kind of get to their wits end and be like, you know what, this is not your pizza, this is our pizza, we are giving you some pizza, and you'll like what you get, uh, maybe your parents had that line, um, get what you get, you don't throw a fit, you know, um, but I heard that from time to time, and so I wonder, um, how this plays in our life. You know, the same thing might happen when uh, my parents would ask me to clean my room. I'd be like, it's my room. No, actually, it's my house. So you clean your room. But I wonder if we do the same thing sometimes with ours. We think about our time or think about our material possessions, the money that we have, and we go, you know what? This part is mine. Um, I'm going to spend it how I want it. I've got some things I have to do over here with my money. And I'll definitely give God his portion when um, we come here, maybe even today you wrote a check or something, you said, I'll give God his portion. And you say, they've been talking about giving, I, I don't really want to give more. I, I give enough of my money. And God says, you know, it's all my money. Everything you have is mine. Everything that you are is because of me. In fact, today, uh, I am reminded that everything that, God, that I have is a gift from God. All the time and energy I continue to be given is grace from God. I'm not promised anything more. Everything I have is from him. And so we want to give a portion to God. We want to be like David. We see what he has given to us. But far too often I I put things in two different categories. Mine and then enough kind of left over. If If I have enough left over, I'll put that over here and then I can give out of that. I can do this out of that. Uh... But what's mine is mine. And I think God gently wants to remind us that, no, all that you have is from me. You know, sometimes I use words like earn or deserve. And I say, well, I work hard. I've earned that. I deserve that. This, this is fair. This is, this is mine. 
And what I have to be reminded of is that everything is a grace gift from God. You know, in the, around the holidays, the last couple of months, it's very easy to be thankful. Uh, we talk about Thanksgiving, and, and you gather on the table, and you're, and you're thankful. You go to Christmas, and maybe you have gifts under the tree, or you give other people gifts that they put under their tree, and you're thankful. You look at all these things that we have to be blessed with. And you and I know that that cannot be where it stops. That every day we have to be people who are filled with gratitude. In the fall, I challenge you to a simple spiritual discipline that I want to remind you of today. Maybe you do it, and that's great. And if you haven't, uh, now's as good a time as any to start. Um, every morning or every night, just jot down, simply jot down five things you're thankful for. You can put them in your phone. You can get a journal. You can get a scrap piece of paper uh, just to be reminded because it will change how you go about your day. You do it to start the day, and you're going to have different eyes to see throughout the day because you're starting off from a place of thanksgiving, understanding our blessings. Or maybe you do it at the end of the day, and it changes how you look back on your day. Because far too often, we're, easy, we're very good about um, listing our complaints, aren't we? I mean, we don't have to like, set aside time to do that, but we come home and we talk about our day, maybe, and you just say, ugh, well, it wasn't a good day for these three reasons. But maybe we should be the kind of people who turn, and instead we think about that of which we're thankful for. Because I know that when we think about those things we've been blessed with, it will change how we live And we will be the kind of people who live a life of giving um, instead of a life of getting. And that's the kind of life we're called to. In fact, we want to be the kind of people who are not just people who give, but we want to be giving people. And so maybe today you came in here and you gave, or maybe you serve uh, one time a week, and somehow in your mind you kind of say, I checked that off my list. I have gave, given this week. Did I give last year? Well, sure, I know all the times that I, that I gave. And what we want to do is instead be the kind of people who give always, because when we have eyes to see, we will see people in front of us that are, that are always needing us to give to them. I heard something recently that, that uh, really struck, uh, struck a nerve in me, and that God sends people to help people. God sends you out to be the kind of people who help and serve others. And so we want to be giving people because the opportunities come up often. It's a subtle change, people who give, to giving people, but that's the kind of people that we want to be. We're not looking to give in just a certain time or place, but we want our life to be defined as a life of giving. And we do this because we respond to what Jesus has done in our life. We know In one hand, that everything we have is from him, but we also know what Jesus has given for us. For you and for me, Jesus gave everything. How do we respond to that? This is how Paul responds to that in Romans chapter 12. He says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Do you guys remember those WWJD bracelets? You remember? I remember I was in about fifth grade when they came out. And I remember one, on one hand being kind of like um, anxious about it because I didn't have one yet and everybody else did. And it was like, you grew up in the Bible Belt, how do I not have this, right, already? It's, it's the cool fashion thing, and I'm a Christian, right? Every Christian has to have one of those. And so I remember thinking, this is such a good idea, uh, because I remember I can wear it right here, and I'll never forget to, in every moment, think, what would Jesus do in this moment? 
And in one hand, that is a great idea. But maybe your experience was like mine and it didn't really play out that way. Uh, that I was just as sinful with the bracelet on as I was with it off. Um, it didn't just transform my life um, over time. But that is what Paul is calling us to do. You have seen what God has done in your life. And so let your life be transformed by him. We want our minds to be renewed. We spend time in his word because we know what the world says. We know the message that they have for what life should be like. And we go back to God's word and we say, God, Jesus, through your word, how, how, do our, how should our lives look? That's where we go for our life to look. And that transforms our mind. We want our bodies to be a living sacrifice. Just as Jesus gave his whole body for us, we give our bodies back. We know that what we do with our bodies matter. And so we let them be a sacrifice back to God. But just like David, we know that we can never outgive God. We know that everything we have is from him. And so we hold nothing back. Because we know that when we give to him, that he will do extraordinary things in our life. And so maybe today, it's a step out in faith in how you give of your material possessions. Maybe you give in a way that your financial advisor will say, this is not wise. And you say, Yes, but it's in faith. Maybe you do it with your time or your energy, and you come home from work, and it's been a long day, it's been a long week, and you say, I just want to lay on the couch. I just want to turn on Netflix. And instead you say, I'm going to go right next door. Sometimes I know that the trip to Sam's place or Honduras can be easier than going across the street. But we want to build those bridges because we know that there are people that are all around us that don't yet confess and proclaim the name of Jesus. And that is our hope, is that they will. And so... Maybe we give of our time and our energy to go next door when it's not easy. We're the kind of people who know that when we give to God, we know that he will respond in kind. One thing that's interesting when we look back at the Second Samuel passage is when I look back on it, I realize that this is not initiated from God. God does not come to David and say, if you will build me a temple, I will bless your family. That is not how it happens. Now, maybe that was in God's plan the whole time, but what we do see in this passage is a man like David who says, I know that I've been given from God, and so I want to respond. And God, when we give to him, he can take our small gifts and multiply them in ways we could never imagine. So today I want to declare to you that you have been blessed by God. There are things in your life it only could come from God. Everything you have and everything you are is from him. And so how will you respond? And I know this, that when we respond in kind, God will multiply those gifts and he will do things that we could never in our wildest imagines know. Here's what I do know. That before you decided to follow God, he gave everything for you. That while we counted him as unworthy, he said you were worthy. That when we said we, we don't love you, We want nothing to do with you. He said, I love you. Before you were even thought of, your sin was paid. Your debt is now canceled. And so for that, we want to respond in kind, be the kind of people that follow in the footsteps of our Savior Jesus. In closing, I'm going to invite the praise team back to the stage. Maybe today you have never taken that step. Maybe you have never said, I want to give my whole life over to God. Well, today the baptistry is open the water is warm. It is warm. <laughs> and we want, we want you to take that step. We want to walk with you as you have a newfound faith in Christ. 
Maybe today you have followed Christ for a long time, but you look back and you realize, I haven't been the kind of person that he wants me to be. I haven't been giving of my time or my things. I've been selfish. We want to walk with you. We're all being transformed a little bit at a time. We want to walk with you. And our shepherds and their wives will be around the room ready to pray with you. Let us walk with you in this. We know that we declare all day today what God has done in our life. We want our lives to respond in kind. Let's stand and sing.